You're listening to Everyday Evidence, presented by the American Occupational Therapy Association, helping the occupational therapy practitioner apply evidence to practice. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. Okay, on today's episode, we are joined by a very special guest, Stacy Reynolds, the editor and chief of the American Journal of Occupational Therapy and professor of occupational therapy at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, is joining us. Stacy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for inviting me. It is our pleasure, and I've been really excited to speak with you. To start off, right off the bat, what inspired you to pursue a career in occupational therapy research and publishing, and how did that lead you to become the editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Occupational Therapy? I decided to pursue a career in research when, after practicing for a couple of years, I had a lot of clinical questions that I wanted answers that I wanted answers to. And when I went to the literature, those answers just weren't there. Um, and that just led me to pursue a PhD so that I could acquire the skills to answer some of those questions myself. And in terms of moving into academic publishing, that kind of happened organically. Um, my mentor, my dissertation mentor was Dr. Shelley Lane, and she's a fantastic writer and editor, and she really worked with me to develop and hone those skills. And I started writing papers with her and chapters with her, and that led to reviewing articles for journals like AJOT. And after reviewing for AJOT for several years, I moved into an associate editor role under Lori Richards when she was the uh, editor-in-chief. And when Lori ended her second term, um, I applied for the editor-in-chief position. I felt like it was the right time for me in my career, and it was something I was really excited to take on. So I've been heading the journal now um, almost for three years, and I'll start my second three-year term this summer. Thank you so much for your service as editor-in-chief. Um, you're definitely the type of person who, when you identify a problem, works to create a solution. If there's not one that you can find in the research or, or with other resources, I think that's very admirable and inspirational. Um, c- could you give us a, a snapshot or maybe a, a verbal abstract of AJOT, what is the mission of the journal and what are really the goals of what you do there? I think a good snapshot is to say that AJOT's mission is to publish rigorous and trustworthy research so that occupational therapy practitioners can make informed evidence-based decisions about their practice. You know, that's really the, the bare bones of it. We want to publish things that people can trust and that they can use in real life. So our goals uh, specific to AJOT are just to solicit and publish top articles in our field and then to help translate that work into practice. I love how you include that translation piece into practice. I know that's an area that occupational therapy seems to be um, focusing on more in general as of as of late and the overall goal of this podcast as well to help make research um, and evidence more applicable and, and consumable for practitioners. What would you say are some of the most important recent developments or trends in occupational therapy research that you've been observing and how do you kind of see these shaping the field and, and shaping what AJOT is doing? 
I love that we've seen a swelling of research related to topics of justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion over the past, I would say, three years, really. I think that people are really hungry for this information, and the work is finally getting funded, it's getting completed, and it's getting published in journals like AJOT. Just a little kind of backstory, AJOT has its own DEI committee, and we talked like two years ago about doing a special issue on DEI topics, and at the time, we had just decided there wasn't enough work being done to fill a whole special issue, and we met just probably about a month ago. And we said, you know what, like, we're ready now. Like, you know, it's no longer the case that there's not enough there. It's like there's enough there. We're going to be putting out a call for papers really soon to do an entire special issue on DEI topics. So I think it's really, again, just exciting to see this work just exploding. Um, I'm also really excited about the field of implementation science. It's not the work that I do, so I'm not just trying to plug it, but I think it's really necessary, particularly in occupational therapy. For those that aren't familiar with implementation science, it's it's the study of strategies that can help with the uptake of research into use by practitioners or or policymakers. And and we know that there's like this 17-year gap between when research is published and when the techniques actually make it make their way into a clinical setting. And to me, that's crazy. In this information age, to have a 17-year gap for things to get implemented is its wild. So I think that the implementation science field can help to bridge this gap and, and move us closer to where we need to be and, and break down some of those barriers. So um, I know that, that I'm on the lookout for those papers. I really hope that the people doing that work choose to submit to AJOT because I'm really, I'm really excited about it. You are speaking my language with implementation science. That's uh, something I researched as part of my um, doctoral capstone um, and doctoral project uh, while while I was in school. Um, very interesting. I also find it just so helpful to our field how AJOT not only is identifying high quality research and sharing that, but also being a catalyst for research and identifying areas that need more research to be done and calling for those papers. Um, it's really important to have that direction within the field to to help practitioners or researchers or educators know what we need to learn more about. Yeah, I find that that's one of the exciting things about being the editor in chief is getting to have an influence in that way, um, really keeping an eye on things in the profession and then promoting that that type of work. So that's been a fun part of my job. I love that. Um, you mentioned one of the goals of, of AJOT is to provide high quality research that's relevant to, to clinicians and can be applied to what they do. How do you really ensure that the research you publish is of that high quality and is relevant to practicing clinicians and researchers? We have a, a pretty transparent checks and balances system in place that, that guides our review process. So for studies that are, for example, like systematic reviews, scoping reviews, clinical trials, we require all our authors to follow and um, provide provide for us standardized checklists, uh, like the PRISMA checklist or the consort statements. And these help to validate that they've included all the required uh, elements of rigor in their paper. 
And then all papers get screened by me. I'm, I'm kind of the, the first step when a paper gets submitted. Um, but they also get screened by one of our associate editors before ever moving into the peer review process. And the peer review process includes review by two independent blinded reviewers. So in addition to all these standardized guidelines that we have in place to ensure rigor, a lot of eyes look at every paper that comes into the journal and the authors have the opportunity to get feedback from all of those papers. And, and in the end, we hope that all of that feedback strengthens the final product that gets published in the journal. And I'll also say that one of my roles as editor-in-chief is to make sure that I'm keeping up with best practices in the publishing field and making sure that the associate editors, uh, the people who make up our board, are abreast of those changes as well. You know, we're seeing... Um, work being published on, let's say, uh, best practices for using race and ethnicity data in research. As those best practices get implemented in the publishing world, we make sure that AJOT is requiring those best practices of our authors as well. So it's, it's constantly evolving. I think AJOT does a really good job of making sure that we are holding the highest standards in our field. That's awesome. And, and there really is an all-star team of editors and reviewers there at AJOT. Um, and, and it shows in, in the quality of, of research that is being published and provided to practitioners and researchers. You, you mentioned that 17-year gap of translating research into practice. Uh, I know some challenges that uh, researchers and practitioners face in, in consuming and applying evidence can be you know, a misunderstanding of scientific validity and uh, vocabulary and, and uh, methodology, um, but as well as, you know, not having the time or access to certain articles and certain journals. What are some of the other challenges that you see um, OT researchers and practitioners facing and how does the journal really support them in addressing these challenges? Yeah, like you, Matt, I, the thing I hear most from practitioners is how busy they are, uh, not just at work with productivity standards, but juggling work with uh, family or caregiving responsibilities and still wanting to have time to do things that are restorative or regenerative to them. So keeping up with the literature, reading journal articles, it's just not at the top of their priority list. And, and I get that. Um, AJOT has tried to address these challenges by providing smaller doses of research um, through platforms like Instagram and YouTube. So our in, on our Instagram site, we post two research briefs per month um, and other posts to help connect practitioners and researchers or to connect practitioners to the research. And then we have a YouTube series called AJOT Authors and Issues, and it's a platform where we interview authors every month about the article that they published in our journal, and we get to take a deeper dive into what it's like to conduct research and work on a research team. Uh, we also get to explore some of the issues that are published uh, in the AJOT Issue Is column. So kind of like your podcast, um, these are ways that practitioners can get connected to the evidence while they're driving to work or waiting for their kids at soccer practice. You know, they're mechanisms that are free and are pretty easily accessible. So we're, we're hoping through these types of initiatives that we're making it a, a little bit easier for practitioners and we're breaking down some of those barriers. 
I love that. I love that, Stacey. And I've watched a couple episodes of your Authors and Issues series, and it really is so helpful. And it's so interesting to hear directly from the authors of these publications about the methodology, about their day-to-day, about how they conducted it, and about how they envision it being applied into practice. Um, It's a a really great sneak peek. Um, So I definitely want to encourage all our listeners to check that out on YouTube. Stacy, how does AJOT really balance the need to publish new and innovative research in these, you know, newer methods on Instagram, social media, and YouTube with the need also to ensure that all the research you're publishing is applicable to clinical practice? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And and just to be clear, I, I don't know that all the research we publish is going to be immediately translatable into practice. You know, I think our editorial team really looks at where the state of the science is within a specific area of research or, or the area that, that the paper is submitted under. And if you think about the research continuum, newer areas of research are going to be more exploratory. Maybe they'll be a little bit more qualitative in nature or at a lower stage of rigor. And, and that's okay at, at that stage if you're just getting started. So those studies, you know, those earlier studies, newer areas of research, um, they may be more about feasibility. Um, They might be asking, can this even be done versus can this be done in this specific setting or with this specific population? But as an area of research grows, as that field evolves, we expect to see studies that are further along in the translation continuum and, and therefore more applicable to clinical practice. So for us, it, it's really about keeping up with the speed of the state of the science and recognizing what types of articles are are most likely to have an impact on the profession wherever they're at. And and I think that's why you mentioned our our rock star review board, but we have a a great team of associate editors. And if you look at their bios, um, there's a great breadth of knowledge there. So when a paper comes in, it can usually get assigned to somebody that really has a good idea of where the state of the science is in that area. And we also have a list of over 300 official reviewers that we can call on to do our peer reviews. So even when there's a really novel paper that comes to us, um, we can usually find people that have the expertise and can provide the guidance of, is this paper where it needs to be to have an impact on the field? So I I think, you know, that's really our decision-making process and our team meets a couple times a year. And that's something that we talk about all the time of what are we seeing? What's what's new? Um, where is the state of the science? And if people are, are struggling with something, then we can discuss it as a team. So um, yeah, it, it's not something that I decide alone. It's really about um, drawing on the expertise that we have at hand. And, and AJOT just has amazing reviewers and an amazing editorial board and and we all work together. So it, it, again, makes it fun. I love that. That's It's very encouraging and comforting as a practitioner to hear a little bit more about that process as well. Um, because as we mentioned, OTs are busy. It's it's tough to to stay informed and to take the time to stay up to date with, with the latest research. And it's really comforting to know that you and the board are very well tapped in and are using your expertise and collaborating in a way to impact and, and improve our profession overall. We'll get back to our interview right after this quick message. 
You all know we really try to make research more consumable and applicable on everyday evidence. But did you know that just one minute of your time could help us to improve the show, improve the resources the American Occupational Therapy Association provides for practitioners, and improve the application of evidence to practice within our whole field? Please take our one-minute survey. It's only three questions, and you can find the link in this and every episode's description and support the AOTA in continued efforts to improve our podcasts and to improve the translation of research to practice. Now back to the interview. What would you say is the role of occupational therapy research in kind of expanding that scope outside of um, advancing just our profession to advancing the overall healthcare system? And how can the journal really help to promote this? This is one of those questions where I'm like, we're just a journal. We can't solve all of the problems. <laughs> um, but I mean, seriously, I think our role, again, is just is to solicit and publish papers that can help demonstrate where occupational therapy has value and where we can have an impact so that people in positions of power, uh, healthcare managers, poly policymakers, lobbyists, can make informed decisions. You know, one of the first, I think the first special issue that I, I um, uh, solicited papers for when I took over as editor-in-chief was the special issue on health services research. There were papers published in that spe special issue that showed that occupational therapy services reduced readmission rates in acute care settings that showed that occupational therapy services had a significant impact on health and well-being to several different populations of clients. And to me, this is the type of work that healthcare managers can take to their uh, administration or within their, their system that they work in to demonstrate the value of OT and to justify things like staffing needs. So I, I think that, again, soliciting and, and, and really promoting that type of work is the role of the journal. Beyond that, I think we have to make sure people know that that is there. So that's where the translation piece comes in, is, is making sure it's getting into the hands of people that can really be change makers in the field. I love that. I love that. And and that is such an important piece in uh, helping and encouraging practitioners and, and researchers and advocates throughout the field to Begin to use uh, what's in there. Bring it to a hill day. Um, use it when you're uh, collaborating with uh, other fields in, in, in what you do. Um, I, I really love that emphasis. Stacy. how do you see the future of occupational therapy research and practice evolving? And what role do you want to see um, AJOT playing in that evolution? One thing that I see happening is that Doctoral education is evolving. And when I am speaking about doctoral education, I'm, I'm speaking primarily about research doctorates like the PhD. And there's, there's a call right now, you know, kind of in the broader literature for doctoral education to move away from the more apprentice master relationship that comes out of the basic science field. Um, you know, this is the model where a student and a mentor work together in a lab and the mentor passes along very specific information to their mentee. And the, the call that's coming um, from, again, broader healthcare fields is for a more transformative and interdisciplinary model of doctoral education 
with a focus that is practice-based and enhances problem-solving skills in real-world settings. And this, this newer model of doctoral education is, is also intended to be more practical, aligning the, the doctoral education with the labor market and the economic sector. So I, I think with those changes in mind, you know, as I think those changes are going to come into play very soon, the journal needs to be responsive and anticipate research coming in from more interdisciplinary teams that may not use OT theory as a foundation or may not always use uh, OT language, but still has a, a strong applicability to our practice and to our profession. And I think that we can also expect to see more research designs that are rigorous, but not necessarily things that are randomized control trials, because RCTs are really hard to implement in clinical settings. They require a lot of money. They require a lot of resources. And I think that there are alternative designs like single subject designs, multiple baseline designs, case control studies that are more practical in clinical settings and can still be done in a rigorous manner. AJOT does publish that work already, but I think as part of this evolution that we're seeing, we may see more of those alternative designs. And I just think, again, we have to be responsive to that and accepting of that and understand how do you do these studies in a rigorous way and how do you um, see where the research continuum is for the different areas of practice. So that is one area that I, I really see evolving is that more practice-based research. And, and it's something that I'm excited to see. Uh, that that truly is exciting, a, kind of a, a shift in a f of a focus to a more practice-based model. It, it seems like that shift is going to help with this kind of 17-year research gap uh, to make things more practice-based and uh, to help make research and, and the articles published in AJOT uh, uh, more consumable for practitioners and, and hopefully applicable as well. That is extremely exciting. Um, Stacy, what advice would you give to occupational therapy students and uh, maybe young researchers as well? We'll include in that group who are just starting out in the field. Um, how could they contribute to the journal's mission and goals? My advice for young researchers or students interested in research is just to surround yourself with good mentors. And, and these can be dissertation, dissertation chairs, colleagues, peer mentors, but put a support system in place at every stage of your career. As your interests grow and change, build new teams, put more supports in place. You know, I've been really fortunate to have mentors um, early on in my career that really helped me to get launched and find my way in academia. But I've also had peer mentors throughout my entire career that we've been able to support each other through things like promotion and tenure or grant writing or publishing issues. So surrounding yourself with good people is, is really important. In terms of um, contributing to the journal, I, I think there's, an, again, an evolution that naturally happens from becoming an author and, and getting really confident in your own writing skills and then doing ad hoc reviews for the journal. So um, within your areas of expertise, uh, reviewing once or twice a year. And then some people will go on to be our official reviewers. So these are people that review more regularly 
and and then deciding if moving into an editorial board position, uh, an associate editor or editor position is right for you. Those positions are exciting because, you know, like I said earlier, you have a little bit more influence on the profession and in what gets published and and the direction the journal goes. But that's for a later stage in in your career, I think. But what's also exciting is that we've within the last two to three years, started taking on students as volunteers for the journal. So students can become involved with us by um, helping to manage our Instagram account, serving or, or, or helping with the Authors and Issues series. Um, and we also have a student representative on our DEI committee. So right now there are three students that are involved with the journal. So I would say, you know, if people are interested in, in helping out, they just have to reach out to me and there's probably a place where I can slot them in um, at any stage in their career. Uh, I get really excited when people want to contribute to the journal. So at any stage, there is an opportunity. I love that. I love that. I consider myself really lucky to to speak with leaders and, and people with such great experience and expertise within the field of occupational therapy. And a recurring theme in the interviews is creating a sense of community and the importance of mentorship, uh, like like you just mentioned. Um, so that really is so important. And I, I love that there's ways to get involved at every stage in your career with, with the journal. Um, what would it look like if uh, someone wanted to, uh, you mentioned, do an ad hoc review? Um, can you find that information on the AJOT uh, webpage or how would they kind of initiate that? Again, the, the first step is really just to reach out to me, and my email is on the AJOT webpage. I will just ask a, a little bit about your background to make sure that you, you, know, you have some training and research to be able to critique articles. Um, but for newer viewers, we offer resources on our website. Um, it's down at the bottom of the AJOT webpage, and it just says resources for reviewers. But it goes through, you know, what, what does a peer review look like? What are the things that you're looking for? So we have some things in place to help people who are first-time reviewers. If it is your first time reviewing with us, we'll often pair you with a more senior or established reviewer. And so you won't feel so alone in doing it your first time. And I'm available. So, you know, people will email me with questions and say, I'm not quite sure how to respond to this. And I can guide them through the process as well. So there's not a formal mentorship process in place, but informally, we, we really do try to support people as they start out with the journal. I love that. I love how you and other leaders within the journal are, are accessible um, to, to our field. Um, I think that can be really encouraging and uh, help some people to, to apply and try something new that maybe they're a little timid or, or on the fence about. Stacy, I want to ask, how how does AJOT collaborate with other OT organizations and publications, maybe even outside of the field? Is there, you know, an American Journal of Physical Therapy that's your rival or that you work <laughs> with? Or, or how does that collaboration kind of work to promote the field and, and the research that you're doing? I think sometimes people don't always make the connection that AJOT is the journal of the American Occupational Therapy Association. So we work super close with AOTA, uh, particularly in the translation of research into practice. So the clinical practice guidelines and the official documents published in our journal are developed by the teams at AOTA. 
We've also begun to collaborate with the AOTA DEI committee to make sure that AJOT is doing its part um, to support the initiatives of the association. And this includes us having a DEI collection on our website so that the articles are easier to find and to access, um, soliciting articles for our special issues, things like that. Beyond that, we have done some collaboration with other OT journals, particularly with OTJR and Tim Wolf, who's the editor-in-chief there, to help researchers understand the process of publishing in peer review journals and to distinguish the type of work that's appropriate for journals like AJOT or OTJR compared to maybe a practice magazine like OT Practice. And I, I do think this can be confusing for some folks, particularly first-time authors, and, and if they don't have a mentor guiding them through this process. So we've tried to jointly educate people on what are you looking for if you're submitting uh, to a peer-reviewed journal, what are the requirements, and how do you go through that decision-making of what is the best place to disseminate my research. We haven't collaborated with any non-OT journals. Um, I don't think of the Journal of, of Physical Therapy, for example, as a rival. I actually think when I... Um, when I took on this position, I went to PTJ's website because I really liked some of the things they were doing. Um, you know, they they were a step ahead of us in terms of doing some translation pieces, like having a podcast and um, having Instagram or maybe they do Twitter. But yeah, no, I, I really look to them as like a model for... Um, how can we be better at translating and, and disseminating work outside of just the articles we publish? So kudos to Alan Jetty, who's their editor-in-chief, for being ahead of the curve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stacey. I, I really like uh, the distinction you made between kind of a, a practice magazine and, and a, a peer-reviewed journal. Say, for example, if we can do a little case study, there's been a, a couple publications in OT practice about everyday evidence and, and AOTA podcasts and how that can contribute to implementation science and the translation of, of evidence into practice. Uh, what would the process look like to really take that to the next level and, and to uh, conduct, you know, research that would be uh, worthy in, in a, for lack of a better word, to be published in a journal like AJOT? Yeah, I think it is that evolution. Um, and it, there's definitely a gray area between program evaluation and research. So if you've developed a new innovative program, typically your first step is just to get a baseline idea of of, is this even effective? Is it something people like? Is it something that seems to be useful or helpful? Um, and, and you kind of get down how you want your program to run. You work the kinks out, right? So I think in those early stages, getting information about your program out is appropriate through venues like OT practice um, because you're, you're sharing information about a novel program that's been developed. But to get to the level of peer review, um, there has to be elements, and I keep using this word rigor, right? There have to be elements of rigor, which means that you are controlling for all of the other extraneous things that could be showing change in your clients. Um, you're controlling for threats to internal validity. Um, you're, you're thinking about reliability or consistency of your intervention, fidelity of your intervention. 
you're being really thoughtful in how you, you get your sample to make sure that it's generalizable and, and that there's not selection bias. So I, I think that those are the things that when something goes up for peer review, that our methodologists are really looking for, that, that there is control in the design of the study. And that's where the trustworthiness piece comes in, because we want our readers to feel like they can trust the results that we are publishing. And without control, without rigor, you lose that trustworthiness. So to me, that's really the distinction uh, between something that would be published in OT practice, which gives people great clinical ideas. But to go that next step to, for peer review, I think what you can really do is trust the results because the, the authors of those peer review articles have put in controls. They've put in mechanisms to add trustworthiness to what you're reading. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Stacy. Um, Stacy, we've covered a, a lot of topics, including some uh, exciting and promising areas of, of occupational therapy research that you've been following. Uh, what do you hope to see in the future of our field? Like I said before, I'm excited to see what's coming out of the implementation science field. And while I'm not a super techie person, um, I think it's exciting to see some of the work being done on topics like machine learning algorithms, uh, use of virtual environments, 3D printing, um, lots of wearable technology that's coming out. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm not a big techie geek, but I think that what we're doing with technology it, related to function, related to real world environments is is really neat. And I think it's really exciting how many OT researchers either have backgrounds in engineering or basic science or are partnering with people from those disciplines to help develop novel tools for intervention um, or for measurement. And I realize there's probably going to be, again, this gap that we see before these technologies can be implemented in practice. Um, a lot of that has to do with cost and training, but the, the type of work being done now is exciting to see. And especially for things like wearables, wearable sensors, wearable trackers, the prices really come down and, and a lot of these devices, devices are commercially available. So I think that that is a really promising area that OT can be involved in, and, and I'm excited to see it. I love that. I love that. We are definitely a pro techie geek podcast. Um, <laughs> definitely want to want to keep that um, in our in our scope moving forward. That's such an interesting point, and I love how technology has been evolving, and uh, it's important that the field evolves with it and, and incorporates it more. Absolutely. Stacy, we are the Everyday Evidence Podcast. I want to ask you for some recommendations that you would give to our listeners and to practitioners to incorporate more evidence and more research into their day-to-day. -day. What could they do? I'm going to sound like I'm plugging, but I, I think a really good place to start is to become an AOTA member um, and access all of the evidence-based practice resources that are available to members. Um, you know, there are entire teams of people that are creating things just for practitioners um, who, whose job is to help translate research into practice. So I think I pay like $18 a month for my membership. And to me, that is 
totally worth it for all the things that AOTA can provide. And, and I'm not even a full-time practicing clinician. Um, I also think taking simple steps like following AJOT, OTJR, or OT researchers on social media is a really easy and free way to get regular updates in the field. Listening to your podcast is, is, is another one. Um, you know, those things are, again, you can listen on your way to work or scroll through uh, while you're waiting for a doctor's appointment. Beyond that, you know, finding that community, um, joining a community of practice, starting a journal club at your workplace, just surround yourself with people who are excited about the same thing you are and have a group to bounce ideas off of. Um, it's just like with researchers, you know, with clinicians, you have to find your people. And and doing that is it's going to make it easier to make change happen in your workplace. Absolutely, those are are wonderful recommendations. Thank you, Stacy. What what additional resources? I know you mentioned you know being a member of AOTA, following people on on social media, including AJOT and OTJR. What what other resources would you recommend to listeners who want to learn more about um, AJOT and and getting more involved in research? Well, AJOT has a great new webpage. It's been up for about a year now, um, and it makes it really easy to search for and find articles. And I know sometimes that alone is, it feels like a barrier to people. Um, but I really think our, our new website has done a great job of organizing things. And each month we feature at least one article from our authors and issues series, and we make that article open access, which means that you don't even have to be an AOTA member to read it. So, it, so it's free, accessible to everyone. Each year, the journal publishes a state of the journal report. I write that. Um, but we outline where the journal stands and what our goals are for the coming year. So if people wanted to know more about the journal, uh, where we're headed, you know, what our, what our goals are, that's a really good place to start. It's only like a two or three page, you know, uh, a read. And, um, you know, again, if people want to get involved in some way, like reviewing for AJOT, just reach out to me directly. I think sometimes people get intimidated or, or just feel like they can't do that. But it is absolutely okay to just shoot me an email and say, hey, I'm interested in reviewing or, hey, I'd like to, to hear about opportunities to volunteer. Um, so I, you know, again, it, it's, it's easy to reach out to me. I'm very accessible in terms of if people want to get involved in the actual doing of research, that's not what Asia does. I would just say their best bet is, is to contact their closest, um, university or closest occupational therapy program and find out what's happening there. And if there are opportunities to get involved, you know, Asia disseminates research, but we don't conduct it. Um, but I know that, you know, researchers are often looking for clinicians to partner with or people who can help with recruitment or testing. So I think there are ways to get involved with research that, that are probably just outside of the scope of our journal. I love that. Those are some awesome recommendations. I'm really glad you mentioned your state of the journal um, that's published every year. I think that's a great place to start for practitioners who are looking for a way to introduce themselves to AJOT. Your most recent state of the journal, 2022, was published in January, and it really is a powerful piece. You detail 
implications of global, nationwide, and community issues for OT practitioners and provide examples of how practitioners can have an impact in supporting the communities in which they work. Um, So that's a a great introduction. I want to encourage our listeners to look into that. Um, Stacey, it's time now for the Golden Nugget segment. Our last question of the show, if you could recommend one thing to OT practitioners, what would it be? Well, other than my message of finding your people, um, I would say take advantage of all the resources that your national association provides. Again, communities of practice, clinical practice guidelines, annual conferences, um, all of the initiatives that we have going on at AGI. I think your AOTA membership really gives you the tools that you need to keep up to date um, in ways that are feasible. Um, and if you want to chat more about anything, I'll be at conference. I will be at AOTA conference in Kansas City. So stop by the AJOT booth and chat with me or stop me in the hall if uh, if you want to talk research or if you want to talk publication. I, those are my favorite topics. Yes, I I love it. And we are recording before conference. I think we're going to publish after conference. Uh, I'll be there too. (laughs) But it still stands. I'll I'll even say it too. Everybody should go to conference and talk to Stacy at the booth. Absolutely. Uh, So, well, Stacy, thank you again so much for your time. Um, It's been wonderful having you on. And I can't thank you enough for sharing um, your expertise and, and your knowledge with us today. Thanks again for having me. It's our pleasure. Thanks for listening to Everyday Evidence. Tune in next time for more evidence-based practice insights and applications.